Hello, friendly listener. Before we get started, I wanted to ask one simple favor. If you've liked what you've heard so far on Hooks of Horror, and you like where it's going as a series, uh, please take a moment and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you found the podcast. Reviews are the lifeblood of a podcast. Without them, our shows release regularly, but they don't hit as many of you as they could. Just a couple of quick sentences can make a world of difference to any podcaster, not only Hooks of Horror, but any other show you listen to. A couple of stars and a few quick notes about what you liked, or some constructive criticism on what you didn't like, can mean a world of difference. So thank you again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this week's show. Well, now let's see if I go ahead and I do this and I type in this button. Hmm. And that's seven pages lost. Well, I guess I'll take a break and... No. Hey, it's you. Come on over here. I can kind of see what you've got going on. Yeah, you got the hooks in you, don't you? I feel like I've seen you before. You feel that itch just below your scalp? That's the horror wanting to get out. Yeah. Have a seat over here. I've got just the thing for you. Think of it like another hook of sorts. I found them helpful when I was in your position, and it might catch the first one, as it were. Tease it out of there, onto the page or screen. It's been a while since I've done this. Well, it hasn't really. The most important thing you've got to understand is you actually have to share the thing. You know, write something down. Use this as an opportunity to get that out of your head. Then you go on to the internet and you go to Twitter or you go to Facebook or you send us an email up here. I guess we've got that set up. And we all get to enjoy it and you get to feel a little better. See, it works for everybody. I mean... You've only got two weeks, like 14 or so days before that thing burrows down in there so deep that I can't even help you get it out. So, doesn't matter how long or short, just get something written. And get something shared. And after that, unfortunately, I can't tell you that after that everything will be okay. I mean, once you start getting these things, they really don't stop. It's just a matter of how willing you are to work with them and, uh, well, yeah. You just keep coming back here and I'll do what I can for you. You just go ahead and you sit back and take a listen. It goes something like this. A man works the laundry night shift in an extended care facility. Over the months, the mortality rate increases. The dead are kept on their beds in the service hall until the mortuary can pick them up in the morning. They won't stop calling for the nurses. Now the last time you were here I gave you something and I came up with something myself. Here, sit back down. Let me tell you. Sitting here, days after everything, 
I find myself thinking a lot about my Uncle Ike. If it wasn't for Ike, I wouldn't be in this room, at this laptop, writing what the people in charge referred to as a behavioral and thought log. Something for them to review to determine whether or not I'm a viable asset. The tech who set it up said I should uh, treat it like a blog, you know, casual. Yeah, but I'll do that. Just as soon as I remember what casual is. I suppose I should start with something. Uh, I'll tell you a story. When I was young, I was a weird kid. I like books more than people. Weird or tin hat topics, like my grandmother would say, things piqued my interest. Video games were a close second. I didn't really have any friends, didn't do well in school, but I had a voracious appetite for history and Fortiana. Some science and pseudoscience as well. Look, it all worked out. I taught myself plenty, absorbed just enough to make me somewhat intelligent, and the rest sorted itself out. These things in mind... My mom and dad were disappointed that I didn't do well in school or social activities. But man, were they pleased as punch I was interested in books and learning something. Even if that something revolved around ghosts and aliens, secret plots, and cryptozoology. That's where Ike comes in. Ike was from my dad's side of the family. Didn't really get on well with mom, but was generally tolerated. In a lot of ways, we were a lot alike. Ike had spent time in Europe in the 80s. He never went into specifics about what he did there. His stories always seemed to halt abruptly or skip around like he was dodging things he couldn't say, but whatever it was involved radios, spies, and some sort of operation. As a kid, I was enthralled by his stories, always wanting to know more, not only about his time in the army, but also about all the weird stuff he would talk about outside of that. Roswell, Area 51, shadow people, and, well, monsters. As I grew up, I did plenty of reading and learning on my own. In ancient IARC boards, deeper portions of the web, books and magazines, I devoured everything that had even tiny bits of plausibility to it. I talked to Ike about what I'd learned. In return, he'd chuckle or tell me, That's not bad. Or laughingly tell me that something else was horseshit and unfit. Eventually, we moved far enough away that Ike and I weren't in easy reach. Mom and Dad took jobs in Seattle, and the eastern half of Washington State was about as far away as the moon when it came to being a teenager. I don't remember when it was exactly, but it must have been near either my birthday or a family reunion when Ike gave me my first radio. It was a small unit, just big enough to set up on a tiny workbench in the garage. The antenna was a 15-foot affair that I rigged onto the roof. It took some doing, I mean without the electrical knowledge, but I got the thing running with the help of the internet. Something Ike was unwilling to touch for more than Amazon purchases. Within a week or two, weather permitting, we were talking most nights. Always about some new theory I'd found or some story from Germany during the Cold War of his. Occasionally another ham or DXer would show up and either throw in his or her two cents or call us crazy. It was good times. But years went by and I was growing up, breaking out of my shell. Soon the radio was getting less and less use, and then one day it was forgotten. Ike was accepting of the whole thing. I was young once, too. Just ask your dad, he said in one of his last conversations. He knew it was coming, and I was too young to care. We finished high school, just barely, and went on to college for communications and journalism. Community college, so no real hopes of a career. 
Turned out there wasn't really much hope of graduating either. Eventually it was a string of jobs, then an office job where I kind of fossilized. Weird topics didn't really sit well with work friends or the few gaming buddies I had, so the occasional podcast became my only outlet or intake. Years later, in a series of apartments and roommates passed, and I was still working that job. Then came the week before last, and it all came crashing down fairly hard. It was a normal day, a Tuesday. The weekend dead and the work week stuck on start. The office was a trial of patience and controlled aggression. The email's endless, you know the drill. I got off work and headed home. An hour commute, mostly avoiding 5 and 4.05. I got lucky there. A quick stop at Dick's, bag of burgers in the passenger seat, and homeward I sped. Bound for Netflix in bed so I could do the same thing again tomorrow, and the tomorrow after that. Pulling into the shared driveway with the neighbors had the social interactions you see on TV. A wave, an invite to a barbecue I'd never go to, and then through the door. Keys and backpack went to the counter, burgers on the Ikea coffee table, television on, and Netflix booting up. I settled in for the usual night. Burgers in and a documentary on Australian UFOs. Travel and weirdness in one go. I drifted off at some point television having moved on to that weird and thoughtful are you still watching screen Netflix throws up. I groaned and wiped a hand at the drool running into my beard. A check of my phone showed that I had about three hours to sleep in my actual bed before I needed to get back up and go to work. I stumbled over to the kitchen counter, grabbed my smokes and went out through the door to the patio out back. I say patio, but the thing is little more than a six by six slab of concrete. I plopped into the camp chair and lit up, taking a long, mostly satisfying drag. Raised my phone again, squinting at the harsh light. There were so many notification bubbles I had to scroll through. Maybe twenty calls? One or two from my dad and the rest from Uncle Ike. Several were voicemails. I'll pause here a moment and say that I'm fairly certain there is no one who wouldn't think the worst from a number of closely placed calls and voicemails showing up late at night on a Tuesday. Certainly not me. I had some serious chills. My chest was a bit tight. I took a few more puffs and went in for the first message. Hey there. Joe, it's... Well, it's like... I know we haven't talked in a while and... Shit. Look, I need some help. Give me a call, would you, Joe? He sounded tense, like he was straining to keep something out of it. Fear or stress I didn't know, and if I stopped at that message and called Dad or the police... Well, I probably would have been better off. I took another drag or two and queued up the next message. Joe, I hope you get these soon, buddy. I really need your help. If you could just call me back, that'd be great. There's something in the background of that one. Just barely identifiable, but it sounded a lot like the shed door of his utility shack. I remembered that sound as being tied to one of the coolest places I'd ever been as a kid. I guess I do remember when Ike gave me the radio. It was a year or so after that first real meeting. It had been a family reunion. The drive over doesn't stick out in my mind, but it was a few hours. Down through the mountains and out east into open country. Then through the city and out to the lake Ike lived on. They call it a lake, but you need a bit of imagination to stretch the shoreline out far enough to be more than a glorified swimming hole with a few fish in it. I remember when we were pulling up to Ike's house the first time. I was a little nervous. 
The neighborhood itself was a mix of nice houses and well-kept lawns, older places that looked like they'd been there for years and passed down through families, and a few newer abodes built to patterns. Uncle Ike's place, though, it didn't look necessarily run down, but it didn't look that lived in either. Not the house you avoided on the block, but one of those you dared your friends to go up to on Halloween. Kinda spooky. Two stories, single car garage, faded paint on the fence and a small flagstone path leading around back to the lake, and a shack out on the back lawn. The house itself was green, like a faded lawn. The windows were cracked open for a slight breeze. The old curtains fluttered softly, and I remember thinking they kind of looked as though people were furtively glancing out from behind them. We went around back towards the smells of a working grill and the sound of a few conversations. There weren't many of us who'd shown up, a few distant cousins and other aunts and uncles that maybe got a Christmas card. Mostly, they were scattered about a pair of picnic tables and camp chairs. Uncle Ike was manning the grill, flipping the usual burgers and dogs found at any other backyard shindig. I said my hellos, shared a wave with my uncle, and found a relatively quiet place turning out the Game Boy and going for a higher score on Tetris. The small parade of faces came by. Small conversation was made about school and what I wanted to do when I grew up, and had I met so-and-so who was also my age, I wouldn't be seeing any of these people, family or no, again in any really meaningful capacity. Our family just wasn't like that. We had been there an hour or so when everyone started to filter further into cliques. Mom and Dad let me be and went to socialize with Aunt Marcy. That's when Ike came up to my table. He saw Tetris and started in. Tetris, huh? I nodded. I used to play a lot of Tetris. I looked at him skeptically. No, really, I did. Had to. It was for work. This piqued my skeptical meter. No one played video games for work. No one I knew, anyway. Certainly not anyone in my family. No, you didn't. Sure did. In Germany. Ike settled his head into his palm and looked as though he was miles away. Headquarters used to think it had something to do with communication to spies and agents in West Berlin. I'd stopped playing, and Ike grinned. Were you a spy or something? I asked. He chuckled. No, I hunted them. He looked around conspiratorially. Them and other things. You believe in monsters, Joe? He said in a hush. My skeptical meter pegged right at the end of the dial again. Monsters, spies, Ike was just telling stories. In books, there aren't any monsters out there, no aliens or nothing either. Ike belly laughed, turning some heads. Sure, kid, sure aren't. He stood up. Come on and follow me, I've got something to show you. I stayed put. Come on, it's better than your video games and books. I was hesitant, but I was also curious. I set my things down and followed him as he wandered over to a padlock shed. He pulled a ring of keys from his pocket and undid the lock, hanging it off the hinge after he opened the doors. I don't really know what I was expecting. I guess you see a shed or shack and think that it's probably dirty and full of old tools that haven't been used in a while, especially in this case with the lack of upkeep on the front of Ike's house. But the inside was spotless. Clean cement floor that rose a bit like a bathtub around the sides. Cinder blocks made up the walls and timber ceiling. Ballasts hung evenly, casting fluorescent light into the space. 
Several workbenches and olive green cabinets, lockers, and pieces of equipment were set up at uniform, professional-looking distances. I stopped just inside. On the longest bench were a series of electrical devices. Glowing dials and displays, a few speakers, and an ancient-looking microphone sat in the center. Lines came down from the roof and terminated in the rear of the electronics. On the wall was a massive corkboard with clipboards hung off of nails. Maps of the United States, the world, and the local region, as well as lists of numbers that didn't mean anything to me. "'Wonder what that is, don't you?' Ike said, walking over to unlock one of the cabinets. From inside, he pulled out a small stack of files and a few perfect-bound manuals. I nodded dumbly. The closest things I had ever seen to this kind of setup were from movies and video games. "'Here, you like to read? Try these!' Ike said, handing over a few manuals and folders. That was a big part of starting all of those conversations, of everything else that we had talked about for all those years. Remembering it is definitely, well, it's something. Hearing that door opening on the phone had all flooding back. My smokes were forgotten. I was still outside, but any remnants of sleep I'd had hanging on had fled. There was one more message. I pushed play and held my phone up to my ear. There was feedback, sharp and shrill at first, and I nearly hung up. Then there was Ike. Joe, I don't know if you're getting these, but I'm not going to be able to call. Look, I know it's a big ask, but I need you to come over. I think you're about the only one that can help me right now. In the background were more of the feedback and shrill noises. Then the call ended. I looked at my phone again. That message was an hour or so old. I started to do some mental math. It was August, fire season, but there weren't any that I'd heard about in the mountain passes. On the way to the lake, there were a few, but the news had been fairly certain that they were contained. For my rented house in the suburbs, I could be over the mountains and at the lake in about four hours. Whatever was going on with Ike sounded serious, and I was worried enough to do it. I stood up and went inside, throwing some clothes in a backpack, slapped some water on my face, and changed my shirt. I didn't bother calling work, though I should have. Traffic was relatively light. Commuting wouldn't start for another couple hours, so... Other than a stop at the gas station, it was smooth sailing. That first hour or so, I tried calling home, left a few messages saying Ike was having some sort of trouble. I tried calling Ike, but no luck there either just to let him know I was on the way, and asked him to call back and clarify what was going on. I called work just before I hit the mountains, let them know I had a family emergency and wouldn't be in for a few days. I doubted my boss would buy it, but I wanted the call logged anyway. Then I let my mind wander as the sky took on the first hints of light. That pile of books and folders had been one hell of a read. Observation reports from Ike's base near Heidelberg... Stuff about East German and Russian movements, intercepted radio communications between various groups of spies or intelligence teams. There was stuff on satellites and aerial phenomena. Some things on werewolves that was heavily redacted. It was exciting reading for me when I was 12 or so, and the radios and ham equipment was a bonus. With Ike set up and the mountains blocking a lot of the noise to the west, we could hear things as far as France or Germany in really good conditions which somehow seemed to lend his stories weight. I remembered focusing on the werewolves and numbers stations. 
I was fascinated by the notion that cloak and dagger stuff might have actually happened like in the books and movies. Monsters, Joe. They were absolute monsters, Ike would say, glassy-eyed. He wouldn't go into specifics, would just repeat that over and over, saying that his unit would locate them by cracking the codes coming over the radio via the number stations and sending teams to take them out. Did you ever capture them, interrogate them and stuff? I'd ask. He would grimace. No, Joe. When we found them, there was no capturing. Just had to get rid of them before they did too much damage. Number stations was an interesting addition to my encyclopedia of the weird from then on. When I found recordings on YouTube and the Connet project, I would wonder what they were communicating and to whom. Damn, but they were spooky, too. Random numbers read off into the night, and sometimes blurbs of music as well. I kind of drifted off mentally, ending up on the other side of Leavenworth and out of the pass when I realized where I was. I pulled into another gas station and topped off. It would just be another hour or so, and I tried Ike's number again and got an error message I hadn't heard before. The neighborhood had changed some. No more new money had come in, the asphalt was cracked and potholes were frequent. The houses all now had that rundown feel, and some were very evidently abandoned. Heaps of junk and shingles piled in yards and overgrown bushes. Coming around the bend of the street, I saw Ike's place peeking out from behind several oak trees in the front yard. Pulling up on the street, I could see his driveway was empty, the mailbox leaning drunkenly against a partially destroyed fence. Someone had backed onto them. I started to sweat. I grabbed my backpack, pulling the flashlight and folding knife out of the front pocket and slipping them into my jeans. The sun was mostly up, but the weight was reassuring. Cell phone in hand, I got out of my car. The front of the house still had the creepy vibe from back in the day, but didn't look as bad as some of the neighboring houses. The windows were open, and the curtains fluttered then just as before. The front door looked untouched. It was closed, but not locked. People out here still weren't in the habit of doing so unless there was known trouble. I opened it slowly and waited there. Inside, the house was dim, but not dark. I could see the living room, the hallway to the kitchen, and the stairs to the upper floor from where I stood, and nothing looked amiss. I waited a minute or more, just listening, expecting Ike to come around the corner from the kitchen with a sheepish look and an explanation. No such luck. Ike? Nothing stirred. Ike, you in here? Still nothing. Shit. I started inside, looking between rooms and listening, and made for the kitchen. That had been where Ike spent most of his time, sat with a paper or book at the old metal table. The place looked like it hadn't seen use in a week or two. A few stray wrappers from the local burger joint sat on the counter near a few empty bottles in the trash can. I opened the fridge, nothing but a few unopened beers and a half gallon of milk. Over at the sink I looked through the window, looking out onto the backyard and lake, and was rewarded with goose flesh. The shed was a mess. The doors lay several feet to either side, and from sixty or so feet away I could tell the inside was in shambles. I thought of my phone, of calling the police, but the response time out here was useless. Not that it looked like anything was still going on. Taking care to be somewhat quiet, I opened the kitchen door and made my way to the shed, walking the flagstones. A bit closer and I could see marks on the doors, 
like an axe had been taken to them near the handles, deep gouges scored across the surface. From inside there was a hiss and pop, feedback and static from a radio. Looking up I could see the antenna array bent in weird angles. Stepping to the entry I caught a whiff of ozone and cordite and could finally see the whole extent of the damage. Papers and notebooks were scattered around like the aftermath of a raided hen house. The ballasts hung from the ceiling, broken tubes and glass littering benches. The cabinets and lockers were open or overturned. Several of them bent like someone had jumped on them. But the central bench was mostly untouched, and the corkboard on the wall had a few circles and symbols marked out in various areas around the state. I picked my way through the mess to the bench and turned back towards the door. I noticed the frame itself looked bowed in the middle, both wider and inwards, and off towards my right on the floor the sun had caught on some spent shell casings. There had been shooting. Whatever had happened to Ike had been much more serious than I had originally thought, and I turned back to the bench. At least a pack's worth of cigarettes had been stubbed out into an overflowing ashtray, and next to it, just in front of the main unit, was a notepad, covered in numbers and at the bottom, why is it screaming, had been underlined in Ike's fast writing. I adjusted the volume and moved the gain on the set. Through the static I could just make out something shrill. I bent and kept working at the knobs and there it was, so loud and clear I stumbled back and fell. A voice, possibly female, screaming numbers at an even pace. She sounded terrified, pained, like they were being dragged out of her. I froze until she completed the sequence and then scrambled up to turn off the radio. I looked at the pad and found the numbers to be the same, then looked back at the corkboard. I tore down the map in its circles, grabbed up the pad and made my way back out, walking around the house into my car. <clears throat> I pulled my phone, intent on calling the police but found I had no signal. I thought about going in to call, but something stopped me. What was I going to tell them? My uncle called last night saying he needed help. I showed up to his house and found it to be mostly alright apart from the mailbox and broken conspiracy shed? Oh, and by the way, there was shooting at some point and he's missing. Sounded a bit crazy to me. Instead, I spread the map out on the hood of my car, placing the pad up top and lighting up while I looked from the pad to the map, matching up what looked to be coordinates. I poked at the map. About an hour away, up a different pass, was a small place called Liberty. It's technically a ghost town, but it had a few structures left standing, and was circled as well. I wondered if Ike was heading there, if he'd been talking to someone up that way. There didn't seem to be any answers here, and I didn't really know what to do. I piled back in my car, and drove back out of the neighborhood. Liberty was one of those places you saw on a map and just assumed was a town. A place you could stop for food and gas on your way in either direction. In reality, there was nothing to it. A signpost pointing you to turn off about a mile out. There was a gravel lot about half a mile away and you walked in. Occasionally a tourist would stop on their way through, but more often than not it was just to stretch their legs and take off again. Pulling into the lot, my gut was telling me to do just that drive away until I had signal, call the police and let them sort everything out, but I couldn't. If Ike needed help, I was here. 
and it would take a while for anyone else to get here, just like out at his place. The sun was coming down now, and the pale orange glow it put off thanks to the wildfire smoke did nothing to settle my unease. The gravel crunched and skittered under my boots as I made my way in. Up here, the only thing to hear was the wind coming through the pines and the occasional raven cawing as it flew on by. The highway behind me was next to untraveled for large parts of the day. The favored passes being those to the north and south near the gorge. An idea occurred to me and I made my way back to the car, popping the trunk and grabbing the small handheld scanner I kept in my emergency bag. I turned it on. Switching to scan, I let it run through the frequencies and was not surprised when I heard the lady again. Faint, but there. Reading off her numbers in the same pained scream. It had to be a recording. There was no way someone is able to be so consistent. I turned down the handheld and made my way once more towards the buildings. I stopped once or twice with the distinct sense that I'd heard something walking nearby in the brush. Making anything out through the ferns and brush was impossible, but I was certain there was something walking out there, keeping pace with me. I'd take a few more steps and hear the shifting again. Ready to run, I kept moving down the track. Minutes went by and I was near the foundations of what was once an outbuilding. The sounds had stopped. I chalked them up to my imagination and the weirdness of the situation. The sun glinted off a fresh piece of spent brass. I bent to pick it up. It was the same as those in Ike's shack, but out here that didn't necessarily mean anything. The scanner was still repeating the numbers. There was nothing that I could see to tell me that Ike specifically had been here, and I was getting more and more unnerved by everything and making no progress in figuring out what any of it meant. I sat on the foundation, lighting up and looking around, hoping that something would leap out at me, would point me in the right direction. Come on, Ike, give me something here. I pulled out the map and started looking over it again. Liberty was one of the largest circles, but there were a few others. Seattle itself had a few, but they were crossed out. In the other direction, there was one around Spokane, with a few symbols I didn't recognize marked around it. Then, way over to the west, there was one near Aberdeen, nearly at the coast. If I drew a line, it was a bit of a curve, but was a likely enough route of travel. Route of travel. I shivered. We honored monsters, Joe, Ike's voice. Jumping up, I looked around, expecting Ike to be leaned up against a tree behind me. No one. Joe, I don't think you knew what I meant, and I sure as hell hope you're hearing this. I looked around and down at my pocket, the scanner. I ripped it out and turned up the volume. I couldn't transmit, only listen, but here he was. It was Ike. Only I'm a bit too old now, and I don't have my unit. He sounded odd, tired, and I guess I'm not as good as I thought I was. Damn it, Ike, tell me where you are, I hissed at the air around me. If you came to the house, if you're listening, don't follow the map. Some rustling over the line. Stay away from liberty. In the distance, I could hear something scream, long and loud and larger than anything I could imagine. Shit. I'm out of time. Find one of the notebooks from the lockers. Call the number and tell them. Tell them I found one. Huge bangs came over the radio and that scream again. In the radio and also from up ahead in Liberty itself. 
I crawled into the foundation and got as low as I could. Shots rang out in rapid fire. The scream turned into one of rage, and then was joined by Ike on the radio. Up ahead, a tree smashed down onto something, again and again, shaking the earth. Then laughter. Inhuman and grotesque. I started to hyperventilate. Whatever this was, it was moved, and I caught a glimpse of it down the trail. Easily the size of my car, it was a fleshy, knobby thing. Standing on two legs that seemed too small to bear its weight, its massive, twisted arms came down to the ground. Its face was elongated, its skin drum-taut over its misshapen skull. It had a wet look about it, as if it had just emerged from water moments ago. I watched as it threw the tree it had used as a club down to the ground, leaning back to howl triumphantly. I got as small as I could and hugged my knees. The thing moved off, loping away down the path towards the road, causing a few stones to fall on me as it passed and was gone. I sat there a long time, waiting to see if the thing would come back. A few hours, at least. Every sound in the woods seemed louder, like the thing was coming back. Eventually, though, I had to move. I walked towards the area it had stood, noting the huge marks in the dirt from its passage and stopped before the remains of a clapboard building. The tree club was covered in blood, the remaining floorboards the same. Picking my way through, I found what I assumed was Ike and threw up. Nearby was the remains of a radio set and another body strapped to a crushed chair. I wasn't an expert, but it looked like whoever she had been, she had been there a while. On the floor near the radio was a small black pennant, white lines marking both sides of it in an odd shape. I picked it up and folded it into my pocket. I was numb as I made my way back to the car. I don't remember much of the drive back to Ike's place, but I followed his directions. From one of his notebooks, I dialed a number. The line connected to empty air. I don't know if this is the right number, and I don't care. My uncle Ike hunted monsters in Germany. He found one here at home. He's dead. The line disconnected. I sat at Ike's table for a while, drinking one of the beers from the fridge. Eventually, I heard a few large vehicles outside. The door opened, and in came a number of men in a mix of suits and tactical gear. They talked with me a while, had me repeat my story several times, and bundled me into the back of a Humvee. I can honestly say I didn't care at that point. I fell asleep, waking up here, in a room. There's a guard outside. Everyone seems friendly, but I'm getting the impression that I won't be leaving, not for a while at least. I think that kind of wraps it up. I don't know what you guys wanted. I don't know if this is me signing off forever or if you all have more questions. I do know that I'd like to know what the hell I saw. What killed Ike? He said he hunted monsters. Is this what he meant? Now I'll be happy to admit that I was working right up until the wire on that one. And I think it probably shows a bit. That said, I'm happy enough with it, and I'll develop it more later. You can find it on the Hooks of Horror website.
Now we've got another submission. This one came in via email. It's from one Charlotte Norup. You might recognize her as one of the co-creators of Calling Darkness. She's also a voice actor for the upcoming Grey Rooms podcast. You can find her on Twitter and on Facebook in the links in the show notes. The Icy Lake by Charlotte Norup The silence was deafening. The falling snow acted as a silencer and only caused a slight crunching sound underneath my feet as I walked towards the icy lake. I had been here before, way too many times for me to keep track of. This was not good. I had always tried to be so careful, do all the right things, take care of myself in every possible way, yet here I was again. Did it even matter what I did in the long run? I had stopped at the edge of the lake just stood there and watched it while the cold breeze of the wind bit at the naked skin on my face. I readjusted my scarf so it covered up the lower part of my face and pulled down my beanie until the only thing not covered were my eyes. And then I stepped out onto the ice. My legs were shaking slightly as I slowly walked out on the lake. It seemed stable enough, which made me breathe a small sigh of relief and continue walking. The snow, or was it the ice? crunched as I got closer to the middle of the lake. My steps became slower, more cautious, and as I reached the middle, I stopped and held my breath. This is the test. This is when you find out if you make it or break it. I stood there for a while. The ice creaked a little louder, but it did seem to hold. I let out my breath and smiled weakly as I turned around to walk back. The ice began to creak, in warning and more constantly. This is bad. This is so bad. I thought as my heart started beating faster. Small cracks appeared in the ice. What do I do? What do I do? Do I try and walk slowly towards land? Do I make a run for it? I got down on my hands and knees so I could lay down flat in order to distribute my weight to a larger area, hoping this would stop the ice from breaking. I trembled as I lay there with my face pressed against the ice. The ice groaned loudly and I knew I was in danger. I can't stay here. Move, move, goddammit, save yourself. You can do this. Tears welled up in my eyes and started running down my cheeks, only to become absorbed by my scarf as I began dragging and pushing myself towards land. Why the hell did you go this far? Why do you have to test things out? You knew the risk and consequences. Suddenly the ice broke and I got the wind knocked out of me as the lower part of my body went into the dark and icy water. I held on to the edge of the ice while gasping for air and attempted to think straight. I scoped the horizon for someone to call in for help, but I was alone. I was always alone here. No one was coming to save me. Because I was too afraid to ask for help in time. Because I didn't want to be a burden to anyone. Or maybe I was just too blind to see when I was about to get into trouble. Something pulled at my legs and I kicked wildly in the water. I couldn't see anything, but I didn't have to. I knew what was down there at the bottom of the lake, and sheer terror set in. I tried pulling myself back into the ice by trying to dig my fingers into the snowy surface and kicking with my legs, but nothing happened. I gasped in small breaths while my brain frantically fought to think of a plan to get help and get out of the water. Then the piece of ice I was hanging onto broke and I screamed as the rest of my body disappeared into the water and slowly descended into the depths of the lake down into the darkness where only demons and the risk of insanity lurked. 
Charlotte focused on screaming as her portion of the prompt, and I encourage that. If the whole of the blurb of the hook doesn't get you, maybe focus on one or two words or an aspect. Just make it something that kind of correlates. Now in this, I can clearly see something. Something I recognize, and I'm sure a number of you do too. Horror isn't always something external. Oftentimes, the worst horror is what's in our own minds. I think I'll leave you with that thought. Remember the prompt, get it done in 14 days, share it to Twitter with hooks of horror as the tag, share it to Facebook or put it on a website. Make sure we get a link so that we can call it out. Now get out of here. I'm done with you. You've heard what you needed to hear, and you've got a task. You'll be back, and we'll do the whole thing all over again. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Hooks of Horror. Joining me, I suppose, there is no us. Unless that shadow over in the corner of the room has been secretly a person the whole time, but it's not waving at me, so I'm hoping that's not the case. In the meantime, please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you found us. A couple of sentences, like I mentioned at the top of the show, can mean the world to a podcaster. I've got a few recommendations for you. Uh, I would suggest right off the bat that you go and you find the Grey Rooms podcast. It's coming up here pretty quick, and it's going to be amazing. I would suggest also that you go ahead and find the short stories of Augie Peterson. It's one that I enjoy listening to every week, and I'm sure that you might as well. Uh, I'll go ahead and I'll include more um, podcast suggestions as they come about. And remember, you can find more of what I do on the Digital and Dice podcast, Creature Pasta, and the SGO files, as well as the upcoming Calling Darkness and maybe a few other projects, because I apparently am a glutton for punishment. Um, yeah, so remember that if you are writing on the prompts, please post to Twitter, the Facebook page, or send us an email here at hooksofhorrorpod at gmail.com so that we can get that read, see if we can get it on the show, or at the very least get it shared out to the rest of the listeners. Um, yep. Great. This has been fun. I'm glad that this is a thing that people are actually listening to, and I will see you in two weeks.